we're so far away from like the point of the Sithil Zithilquid. <laughs> Copy and paste it. His name was Robert Johnson. In the future, they're calling dudes Herbert again? They, have, they really had an upswing. Welcome to the Write Around Podcast, a chance to step away from our own notebooks and into another's. My name is Julie, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Cade and Steve. Cade, what are we talking about today? We're doing part three of our, our little Write Around exercise that we've been doing. So this will be the final part of our next episode. We're going to move on to something a little bit different. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Steve's short story, Following the Path of the Burnt Rose. So, Steve, I want to give you a little minute, maybe introduce what you're talking about today, any kind of ideas you have before we just get into it. Thank you. So this has been a very interesting writing exercise. We've kind of discussed, discussed the uh, limitations and kind of the creative outlets that were presented to us by this challenge. It was very cool having the concept kind of thrown at me, being very bare bones, intentionally left open and seeing like where my imagination went. And I'm pretty sure it went in an area that like Kate wasn't intentionally leading me towards, but for some reason, this random thought popped into my head and I was like, let's explore this option. Won't really be what anyone's expecting from like the introduction, but I think it'll be a really cool angle to take it. Not the most original piece of work I've ever done, but it is fully complete, at least in its rough draft. So that is like a huge improvement over the norm. So I'm very excited to get through this with you guys. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to just throw in here before we dive into it, the little excerpt from the introduction that I wrote. If you've listened to the past couple episodes, just skip ahead a few minutes and you'll get into Steve's part there. Yeah. Other than that, let's get into it. Candlelit Nights, an introduction by Cade Belknap King. I wish that I had given a second thought on heading to this remote massage parlor the moment I looked out the car window and stated, this seems weird. My friend said it was easy to find, just a little outside of town, look for the hidden road entrance, and I would be on that until I arrive. There was no problem finding the crudely paved road, but why was it taking so long now that I was there? I had been driving for nearly an hour, something I'm sure I would have heard of beforehand, but now I was committed. The full oaks that painted a scenic drive through nature quickly evolved into monstrous pines that with old decaying branches. So, for over an hour, I watched what seemed to be the same trees pass me by time and time again, but after an hour and 17 minutes, I arrived. The paved road ended and my car bumped over a hard dirt lot. I was in a clearing. The sky above was dark and overcast. A cold breeze rustled the pines nearby, but the parlor was stunning. Bright, warm lights shined through each of the windows on this first and second floor, it looked like a comfortable lakeside cottage. A large front patio, a great wooden doorway, and a beautiful landscaping completed with multiple Japanese cherry blossoms along the front of the house in full bloom. Was it even in season? All welcomed me at my arrival. Writing this now, I feel it is vital for me to tell you just how peaceful and relaxing this place looked from the outside. It feels critically important for me that you understand this detail. So as we progress, and you ask yourself, why does he not just leave? Or, if it felt so uncomfortable, then why did you stay? Why didn't you just turn around on that road? Because I was desperate for some relief from the twisted knot on my back that would just not give me any solitude or release. Entering the massage parlor felt just as comfortable as it did from the outside. Somewhere hidden must have been a speaker which was playing a soft, melodic humming sound. 
Lush green plants were potted all around the room. A steady stream of water trickled from one of the walls, dripping into a reservoir of water below. The reservoir flowed into a larger pond inside the lobby where koi fish swam. Sitting down across the lobby was a woman. She was reading a book, which she sat down out of sight before I had the chance to see what it may have been. She looked up and smiled at me. It was a kind, hospitable smile. I found it to further disarm me of any discontent I have accumulated on my trip here, and already it seemed to loosen the tension I felt in my muscles, if I remember correctly. The woman carried herself in a mature manner, but her features had a softness to them and the resemblance of youth. She met me at the counter in the center of the room and waited for me to speak first. I told her I was here for a massage. I explained that I had tried to call to make an appointment, but was unable to reach anyone, and my friend said that they accept walk-ins. My statements were met with quiet, and she continued to smile as if she was looking for more information. The pause in conversation went on long enough that I provided more. I told her that I came a long way and would really appreciate it if she could squeeze me in for an hour. I'd be willing to wait. Finally, she said that it would be no problem. They had an opening now. I was the only car in the lot. This interaction confused me, but I still felt overall relaxed. Something about the atmosphere and the woman's presence just put me at ease. The only element of discomfort I felt in this room was a distinct coldness. A sharp distinction from the warm, albeit shady, day outside. She led me up a stairwell and down a hallway, which was now dimly lit and jarringly cold. I rubbed my arms with my hand to give, give it some friction and some warmth. The woman wore a tight black short-sleeved shirt and shorts, but showed no signs of being cold. At the end of the hallway, she opened a door to what would be the room where I would receive my massage. A plush massage table was in the center of the room. The headpiece was positioned opposite the door. Folded on the table was a thick silk comforter. A dresser and unit against one wall had multiple oils set on top, but it was too dark in the room for me to make out what they were. Each of the other walls had multiple empty shelves and cuppies. I could hear the running water, which I saw in the downstairs lobby. The melodic hum was still playing in the room at a consistent faint sound level. The only source of light in the room, which was even darker than the hall that I had come from, was a candle that was already lit when we entered the room that sat opposite the dresser table. She asked me to disrobe and lay beneath the comforter with my head face down. She said that this massage may be different from others I have received in the past, but reassured me that the customers always found her method satisfactory. It was important that I be completely nude for the massage, and that I do my best to keep my head face down on the pillow. She was going to leave the room for a moment while I got ready. She also asked that I pick one of the oils and set it in the center of the dresser before getting comfortable. The door was closed behind her, and I find myself struggling to describe just how dark it became. I became acutely aware that there were no windows in this room. There was not even light seeping in from the doorway. The only source of light now came from the candle, which held strong. It hardly flickered. I disrobed first, down to my underwear, which I wanted to keep on a little longer, as it was still so cold in this room. I tried to make out where, what the oil said, but it was too dark to see, so I grabbed the candle and brought it over to the dresser. There were three options. Twilight sage, burnt rose, and drowned ginger. The Burnt Rose I held the bottle of burnt rose in my hand, the name filling me with a deep sense of nostalgia. Huh, how about that? I murmured to myself, 
The reddish-brown bottle was an almost perfect match to the hull of that hunk of scrap metal I called home all those years ago. Suddenly in my mind I was 20 years younger, Jan Shero at my side looking at our ship descending from the hazy Martian sky. The burnt rose was a beauty, dense scratches and all. Each scrape and patch job that littered her surface was a testament to her tenacity and a mark of pride for her occupants. If you didn't know any better, you could easily confuse her for any old junker. To those of us who had made their home on her hull, however, she was nothing short of sanctuary. And to the countless max caps that had set in her way all these years, she was retribution. I told you they'd make it on time, shouted Jan over the roar of the burnt rose descent. No way some max cap patrols are keeping us away from our family. Between the kicked up sand and the darkened visors, I couldn't see Jan's face. But I knew that he was flashing me a wide, gap-toothed grin. For the past six days, Jan was a statue. While we hid inside tiny thermal bunkers, crawled through miles of maintenance tunnels, and lived off of stale, recycled air, not a single smirk made it across his face. Even when we had successfully installed our override on the city of Marky's oxygen supply, Jan had been nothing but grimly serious. Now, however, the Jan I knew was back. At the sight of our adopted home's approach, he was clapping and jumping, screwing about how we did it. His excitement was contagious. And before I realized it, I was joining him, leaping through the air, slamming into him, taking care not to crash our visors together. It was hard not to get excited. Jan was right after all. We had successfully managed to install the bypass, meaning the people of Marky could control their own air. Without the threat of suffocation looming over their heads, the people could try and fight for a life free of corporate servitude. In the grand scheme of things, this alone wasn't going to change things on Mars. But it was something we could celebrate. After the years the twelve of us had spent on that ship fighting, it would be nice to have something to show for it. I see you chose the burnt rose, said a voice from behind me. Suddenly, I was twenty years older, trapped in an aching body, sending nothing but my underwear. Excuse me? I asked, slowly coming back to my senses. The bottle, sir. What else could I be talking about? I didn't know how to respond. For some reason, I couldn't shake the feeling that she knew something. Her expression was serene and impassive, yet I could not for the life of me shake the feeling that before me stood a judge, not a masseuse. However, I dismissed this idea as ridiculous and, and handed her the bottle. Yeah, it's got an interesting name. It caught my eye. Did it now, sir? Did you get a chance to smell it? With that, she eyed the bottle and, the, and examined the unopened cap. Uh, no, I didn't. It seems you didn't smell any of them, sir. No, I, uh, I didn't get a chance to. What were you doing all this time, sir? Clearly you weren't using the time to undress like I asked you to. At this, I looked down and realized I had failed to fully disrobe. I looked up and began to apologize when the masseuse interrupted me with a slight bow. It's okay, sir, she stated with closed eyes. When you are ready, lie down and we can get started. With that, she turned around, giving me some privacy. I quickly finished undressing and placed myself under the comforter. When she saw that I was ready, the masseuse came over and revealed my back and shoulders. I felt the stream of recently warmed oil hit my back when suddenly an odd smell hit me. It was very faint, but the oil had a smell of something burning. It wasn't something pleasant like a wood stove or a campfire, but something slightly acrid that was hard to place. The woman must have noticed my reaction, for she began to explain. This oil has an admittedly unpleasant smell to begin with, but as it gets worked, the oil's true aroma will become more pronounced, sir. 
Saying nothing more, she began to spread the oil across my back and started working the muscles. Soon enough, I got used to the smell and was able to enjoy the massage. The woman's technique was firm and strong, yet I found myself practically falling asleep under her hands. I was in a half-awake state, my mind wandering back 20 years ago to an airlock shared with a man who was my brother in all but blood. The green light turned on, indicating that it was safe to take our helmets off. Jan threw his off, and for the first time in about a week, I got to see the man's face. He had on the widest smile I'd ever seen on him, like he was trying to show off all his remaining teeth. He rushed over and we embraced, him trying his damnedest to break my back with a bear hug. We fucking did it, man, he shouted, now firmly grasping my shoulders. Right under the Max Cap's fucking noses, we did it! You were cold as ice out there too, man. It was no vacation on Luna, but you didn't give a grit of complaining. It's hard to complain when you're working next to a fucking statue, I replied. If I was ice, you were the fucking poles out there. Really, I'm just glad to be back. With that, a voice chimed over the intercom, drawing our attention to the speaker above. Will the returning heroes kindly make their way out of the airlock? The adoring masses are just dying to throw you a parade, and we gotta get this bird moving. With that, Jan and I made our way out of the airlock where Ducell, Martin, Sasha, and Vince were waiting to swarm us. Between the tackling, hugging, and rough pats on the back, I was surprised we didn't fall to the ground. But that's probably thanks to Vince's steady grip on our shoulders. The other three had a million questions for us, wanting to know how we avoided detection, what six days of recycled air tasted like, things like that. Luckily, Vince was there to save Jan and I. Guys, we can hear all about their little adventure later. They still gotta talk to Zarya. And you gotta make sure we get out of here in one piece. With a final round of hugs, we followed Vince down the corridor, making our way to Zarya Station. Everyone's real happy you guys made it back without a hitch, said Vince as he ducked to avoid another light. Watching him navigate the corridor, I wondered how he never hit his head on a doorframe in all these years. I was almost positive you'd run into some trouble with the guards down there, but you guys kept it stone. I'm proud of you guys. Zarya won't say it, but she's proud of you guys too. With that last sentence, the giant turned around and gave us a sly wink. Zarya was sitting at her station, frowning at a screen, giving her some sort of bad news. When we entered, she looked at us and her expression lightened somewhat, going back to its usual no-nonsense state. Sylving towards us, she stated, Willow, Jan, glad to see you made it back in one piece. From what I understand, your mission was a success, correct? Nas from the both of us reassured her. Good, she said, mostly to herself. At least one part went off without a hitch. Now we gotta keep the damn activation index until Marky's ready. That part won't be easy. At this, Vince walked over to the screen Zarya was frowning at earlier and asked, Are you still trying to ping us? Yeah, replied Zarya. It's the damnedest thing. Missy can't shake them and she's been at it for over two hours. At this, Vince's eyes widened with concern. I know, said the sitting woman. Jensen there with her, but she won't last at this rate. We gotta take our chances and run, but she won't give up. Can you guys help Gent get her out of there? With that, we were running across the ship, quickly dodging bulkheads and taking ladders two rungs at a time. When we finally made it to Missy's room, we found her hooked up to her station, a jungle of wires and computer towers surrounding her. Missy didn't greet us. The cables attached to her shunts let us know at the moment she wasn't there. Gent, on the other hand, moved away from his spot by Missy's side and came over to hug each of us. Afterwards, he re returned to his post, squirting some water into Missy's mouth. How's she doing? asked Vince, leaning against the doorframe, a look of concern on his face. 
Not good, replied Gent. He had a towel in his hand and was wiping sweat away from the woman's forehead. She's been in there too long. She's running hot. I can't imagine some green-fed cappy fuck is giving Missy this much trouble. That was Jan speaking for the both of us. Normally, anyone trying to ping the ship's computer system to track us would be left in the grit as Missy ran circles around them. Someone with enough tenacity to keep up with her, and for this long, and that was something new. It's not a person, replied Gent. It's an AI. That shut Jan and I up for a second. Some random cis runner would have been nothing to worry about. To have a ship with an actual AI on our trail, that was grim. Pretty unlucky to run into an AI right as we're getting out, I finally said, after a few silent seconds. I don't think it's random, Willow, replied Vince. We've been giving the Cappies a real tough go at it these past few years. I think we finally pissed off the wrong people. Now we're in the big leagues. With this new revelation, I looked up at Messi again. Before, I was surprised that someone was keeping up with our augmented genius. Now, however, I was in awe with the fact that for over two hours, Missy, for the most part human, had been beating a supercomputer at its own game. However, the situation wouldn't last. She's going to burn herself out trying to fight that thing. I've tried telling her that, replied Gent, exhaustion obvious in his voice. She's afraid to let whoever is trailing us win, so she's going to kill herself trying to shake them. The computer's faster than her, but she's more flexible. At least her mind is. Her body, on the other hand. Vince made his way over to the chair, holding the cyborg, taking great care to avoid all the cables laying around. Crouching down to Missy's eye level, Vince shouted, Hey, Missy, can you hear me? We need to get you out of there. Jen's working himself half to death taking care of you. Come on, get some rest. Jen pointed to the model where some text had appeared. It read, If I leave, they will find us. Now that's okay, replied Vince. If they find us, we'll deal with it. I'm so close to winning. I'm sure you are, replied Jan, making his way over to the chair. But if you die in the process, then the fucks get us anyway, and now we're short our ace. This way, at least, you'll still be with us. Gent, is it that bad out there? Yeah. You're running at 101 Fahrenheit and climbing. I've tried everything, but you're at your limit. Gent was quiet, defeat in his voice. I think it was this that finally convinced her. Shortly thereafter, a final message appeared on the screen. Two hours, 27 minutes, and 54 seconds, holding off a Class 3 AI all on my own. That's gotta be a new record. With that, the cables retreated from her shunts and her eyes opened wide. A serious coughing fit brought her back into the small room her body occupied. After she was all set, she said to no one in particular, I'm sorry. Don't be, I replied. You did everything you could, and more. We'll be fine, though, so don't worry about it. We got Romeo piling the finest ship this planet's ever seen, and Sasha will tear up anyone that gets too close for comfort. You rest up and let your family take care of you. Ow! A sharp pain in my back brought me back to the dim massage room. At that moment, the masseuse was pressing down on the knot in my back. Hard. Stop that! That's the knot I was telling you about! Almost in response, a new wave of sharp pain shot through my body, bringing tears to my eyes. Do you ever look up at it? asked the masseuse as she finally removed her hands from my aching back. Look up at what? I asked, coming back to my senses. Mars, sir. When it's close enough to Earth, you can actually see it with your own eyes. The sudden mention of the planet stunned me. Why was this random person asking me about the planet I fled 20 years ago? I had a mention to her, and I never grew a Martian accent. Why'd you bring up Mars? I asked coldly. I heard you mention it while you were relaxing, sir. Did I now? 
This reasonable answer was good enough to put me at ease. I had been known to do more than just mumble in my sleep, so it was reasonable to think I had mentioned Mars while I was half awake. What was it like there, sir? I asked the masseuse, her hand once again kneading my back. Did I say I've been up there? I asked in return. Apparently I had given her my whole life story while in a trance. I heard it used to be unbelievably beautiful. Used to be? What are you talking about? I asked. From what I've heard, it's basically a Garden of Eden up there. People spend thousands of credits just to take a quick trip up to Mars. That was not always the case. She didn't have an answer for that, it seemed. Instead, she continued massaging me, working in silence. After a minute, however, she had worked her way back to the knot, lightly prodding it. Careful, I called back to her. In response, she leaned forward and bluntly asked me, Why did you leave? With that, she leaned into the knot with all her weight, sending wave after wave of searing pain through my body. I don't remember much but the pain itself, but I'm sure in that moment I was flailing and screaming, a crying mess. The room was gone. All I could see was white hot pain. For a second, all I wanted to do was die. Then, suddenly, the pain was gone. Not just the new shooting pain, but the dull, throbbing ache that was the norm. Just like that, the ache that had plagued me for years was gone, and in its place, it was nothing. I felt off. Hollow. In my mind, the knot had been replaced by a gaping black hole, but when I ran my hand over my back, it felt intact. Either way, I was relieved that the knot was finally gone. I turned to thank the masseuse for working her magic, but her expression caught me off guard. As she loomed over me in the dim candlelight, she looked disgusted. She placed a strong hand on my shoulder and firmly pushed me back into a lying position. We are not done yet, she said in a serious voice. To finish, you'll need more oil. What I have here isn't nearly hot enough for what's next. Wait here, I'll be back. Looking back, I don't know why I didn't try and leave there. The face that looked down on me was not that of a friend. For some reason, however, I was convinced that I was just being paranoid. So I waited in the dim light while my mind once again went back 20 years. As it turned out, a class 3 AI unit wasn't the only thing the corporals had sent after us. Not 10 minutes after the ship had pinged us did we find ourselves within firing range of a white-hulled Nautilus-class ship. Romeo was a god of a pilot. The burnt rose was a treasure, and Sasha on the guns was a terror that shredded the skies. Against that ship, however, there was little we could do. The klaxons were blaring, warning of hull breaches across the ship. Every single free display showed huge swabs of the burnt rose that were now inhospitable. Those of us who were free and could make it were in Zarya Station. Despite the dire situation, her expression was calm and stoic as usual. Comrades, she stated, taking care to look at each and every one of us. The ship's not going to make it. Looks like we pissed off the wrong people this time. Somber expressions all around. The burnt rose was our home. Guardian and mother all rolled into one. The news of her inevitable death was not easy to take in. What are we going to do, Zarya? asked Dussel. Confusion visible on his face. We aren't going to abandon ship, are we? Of course not, shouted Lydia. After everything the ship's given us, we aren't leaving her to the fucking green-eating wolves. To this, a general murmur of agreement spread through the group. Not an option anyway, stated Zarya, getting control back. With the ship going down, Missy has to upload the activation index so the people of Marquis can get the bypass system. That's going to take a while. In the meantime, we've got to do everything we can to keep this clunker flying. Anything we can do to help squeeze out another second will be invaluable. If we can get that index uploaded, it means that the past few years have met something. Suddenly, Zarya turned her back towards us. 
The next set of words she said to us came out strong and steady, but the sadness underlying it was clear to all of us. Listen, she said without turning around. The ship's going down, and anyone who's left on it, when that happens, isn't going to make it. You're all my comrades, and it would be an honor to die by your sides. But before that, your family. And to know that you lived would bring me all the peace in the world. If any of you want to leave, head to the pods now and know that I harbor you no ill will. With that, Zarya stiffened, her straight back towards the collective. The silence that followed was deafening. But when it became clear that not a single person intended to leave, Zarya turned to face us, calm as ever, and proclaimed, If that's the case, let's get to work. The energy that filled us during the final mad scramble was impossible to describe. All around us lay death and destruction, and each action we took to save off the inevitable was met by another barrage of alarms and explosions. Yet it felt like we had, for the first time, come alive. This was it. One final push and we would have given our all to see a glimpse of freedom be born on Mars. As we scrambled to put out fires and manly shut bulkhead doors, it felt like all our rehearsing was for this final show. And we were putting on one hell of a performance. Vince, Ducell, and myself were in the engine room, trying to replace a warped heating shell at runtime. When a violent shake from a distant explosion broke open a pipe spewing coolant everywhere. Vince lunged across the room and was able to bring the two huge pipe fragments together, stemming the flow greatly. The fix wasn't perfect, though, and even Vince wouldn't be able to hold the two pipes together forever. On top of that, with Vince holding the pipe, there was no way Ducell and I were getting that heat shield in place. Willow! shouted Vince over the blaring engines. Go to the maintenance closet next to Martin's room and grab some polybinder. Quick! I was out of the room before Vince even had finished speaking. Flying down the corridor, I was slamming into walls instead of wasting time to kill my own momentum. My body was aching all over, but at that moment I was willing to push it to the very end in order to do my part. Suddenly, a section of the wall beside me changed. A large red bubble had suddenly formed in it. Upon seeing it, I stopped on my tracks, confused by what I was seeing. After a couple of seconds of staring at the new formation, I realized what it was. Somehow, a munition from the pursuing ship had struck the burnt rose. But instead of blowing clean through the hull or detonating on impact, it had failed to go off and was simply deforming the wall before me. The odds of this happening were extremely low. Even if the round was a dud, it should have had more than enough momentum to punch clean through the hull. For all intents and purposes, the bubble before me should have been my death. And I was staring at it. It was all wrong. Death was supposed to just take me before I had a chance to register the gravity of what I was doing. I wasn't supposed to see the end. It was supposed to just happen. The bubble of red-hot metal changed that. I was now extremely aware of the fact that if I stayed on the ship, I was dead. And that terrified me. I quickly made my way to the section's bulkhead door and manually closed it. Afterwards, I slumped to the ground, back pressed against the metal doors. After what felt like forever, I felt a strong jolt as the chamber on the other side finally decompressed. The jolt sent me moving, running on pure animal instinct. I was a rat caught on a sinking ship scurrying along winding hallways towards the only salvation left. In those moments, I wasn't thinking about Vince or Ducell or Zarya or anybody, just myself. That was until I turned a corner and saw a yawn at the end of the corridor. Seeing my brother, I became aware of exactly what I was doing. I was being a coward, leaving my family to struggle and die on their own while I ran away to save my own skin. I was frozen, trying to think of anything to say to him. Yawn, for his part, went from a puzzled look to one of grim understanding, and nothing but a few short moments.
Then he slowly started making his way towards me, his face unmoving and impossible to read. I was wholly convinced that Yang would kill me on the spot for trying to abandon my post. When he instead chose to hug me, I was stunned. After a tight squeeze and a couple of firm pats on the back, he whispered in my ear, Good luck out there, brother. They continued to walk down the corridor. After that, it was impossible to ignore what I was doing. The remainder of the way to escape pods, all I could do was think about my comrades, how they struggled against the inevitable and how I wished they would join me. I had half hoped that when I got to the pods, at least one of them would be gone, a sign that someone else had at least tried to live. When I got to the bay, however, they were all there, waiting for me to escape. I waited a few minutes, expecting my crewmates to suddenly turn the corner and join me. But one extremely violent jolt finally convinced me to make the jump. As my pod slowly made its way towards the surface of Mars, I watched the burnt rose, pursued by that pristine Nautilus-class ship, slowly disappear into the black Martian sky. The streaks of fire shooting from its hull illuminating its ways as it slowly transformed to become a star amongst the countless others. They never hated you for banning them, a distant voice proclaimed, bringing me back from my reminiscing. Immediately, my nostrils were filled with a strong, acrid smell that made me ill. Trying to find its source, I turned around to see that the masseuse looming over me. By her side was a pot of some sort of boiling liquid, which I assumed was the source of the terrible smell. What is that? I asked, struggling to breathe the rancid air. You don't recognize it, sir, responded the masseuse. It's the burnt rose oil I've been using. I warmed it up so the smell's a bit stronger than before. Do you not like it, sir? No, it smells awful. I'm going to be sick. Throw that shit away. Now. Is that why you fled? To avoid the smell? This question finally helped me realize what the oil smelled like. It smelled like a terrible accident. Filled with burning chemicals and metals and flesh and hair. It was a smell of exploding batteries and charred flesh, sulfur mechanical failure. The smell of a ship going down in flames. Looking hard at the masseuse, I asked her coldly, What exactly is that oil? To this, the woman looming over me simply replied, It's the burnt rose, distilled down into an oil made just for you. With that, the woman poured a small stream of the liquid onto my back that burnt and boiled my skin the second it made contact. I tried to leap from the bed, but the masseuse held me down, her arms possessing an impossible amount of strength, especially given her slender frame. Like I said earlier, sir, resumed the woman. They never hated you for banning them. To the very end, they wished you the very best, for they loved you deeply, and knowing that you lived brought them a small amount of joy. They had no way of knowing what your cowardice cost. The woman then slowly lowered her head until her lips were right next to my ears, then whispered, but I do. The masseuse now stood before me, pacing. I tried to rise, but I found my body was drained. Not an ounce of strength was in it. All I could do was track my captor with my eyes as she moved about. Two minutes and 34 seconds. That's how much time it would have brought the burnt rose if you had stayed. Missy only needed two minutes, 17 seconds to finish the upload. Had you stayed, she would have done it. Suddenly, the woman stopped in her tracks. She then began to slowly make her way towards me, venom on her face and her voice. But you fled, she snarled angrily. And so the index never got uploaded. Marky never got control of their lungs and no beacon of freedom and resistance was ever made on Mars. She then lowered her face to be almost level with mine, allowing me for the first time to get a good look in her eyes. In the candlelight, they were an impossible mixture of brown and red. They held an impossible amount of rage and hatred in them. Through the fear that racked my body, I was only able to get out one question. What do you want? 
Upon hearing my question, the woman stood upright, leering down at me like a judge ready to deliver a final verdict. What I want, you can no longer give me. What I seek is freedom for my children. So now I am here on earth to punish those who helped deny them their future. For I am Mars, and my children are slaves to the masters of this world. I am the burnt rose gone cold, and my judgment is red. Your flesh held death slow and persistent for twenty years. Today I shall extract from it every ounce of justice I demand. Were it not for the family you abandoned, your fate would be death. But know that they loved you and pled for your mercy. It is thanks to their sacrifice that you shall live through this ordeal. And though at times you'll wish it weren't so. With that, the woman by the name of Mars proceeded to scald my back with the burning oil. For what seemed like an eternity, I filtered in and out of consciousness as my flesh boiled and split and curled under the heat. Throughout the process, I was positive I would die, begged to the end to come quickly. The end never came, however. Instead, I endured endless pain that radiated through my whole body and left me unable to think. Eventually, I woke up here, in this hospital, my body mutilated. I had gone blind in my left eye, my throat was raw and bloody from the screaming, and I had lost the use of my lower body. The worst, though, is my back. The next time they change the bandages, try and get a good look at it. I'll warn you, it's not pretty. But it turns out the woman was pretty delicate in the way that she applied the oil. And I think you'll be able to appreciate the piece of art she left me as a permanent reminder. Well done, man. That was a really good story. I was getting hooked. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I do think it's funny that of um, the three kind of exercises that we did, Julie's mine and now yours, that yours ended up being the longest. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) The second I saw like the title, well, the bottle. And so like the title of the piece, the idea of like the story kind of popped in my head. I was like, well, it wasn't fully formed like a lot of my stories. I was going a couple of different directions, but like I kind of knew what I wanted the end point to be. And I was like, in order for that to land, I kind of need to build up like the sense that this guy has like an actual living family that he's abandoned. And so I was like, well, I'm going to need some time to kind of develop that relationship a little bit. So that was one of my comments was the, the character development that you had in there. Um, I feel like you did a good job of like giving the people like personalities, like with the dialogue and everything, which I know we had talked about with the second planet was something that you had worked on with that story. So, yeah, I thought you did a really good job. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I would like to second that, actually. That was also my top mm-hmm. comment that I wrote down. Yeah. But you did an excellent job with it. And I guess Thank that's you. why I didn't really think of the comparison of the sunken planet, how you said that was one of the things that, like, you thought you were done, and then we d- we talked about it, and you, like, went back, and you're like, it was like, what was it? It was the characters all kind of sound like they're the same character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they definitely have their own voice now, like, 100%. Like, I, I just wrote down some, like, like, like Jan has these like missing teeth and then you have like Vince and like mm-hmm. you immediately tell that he's just like big guy. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of so uh, of him. So yeah, so many characters and in such a short time, I actually really do think you, you put a face on them and you made them care. Like, I mean, I think like maybe there was a few of them that, you know, yeah, not everyone got fleshed out. But they didn't need to, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny that that was also your top thing that you, yeah. you wanted to bring up Julie. Cause I was also like, Nice character building. Yeah, yeah I was really into the you. character. That was like, yeah. yo, I can, these guys, I got it all. They're great. <laughs> Even like the interactions too, between the dialogue and the interactions, like you could, you really like built them up as like close knit family, mm-hmm. you know, because they're like hugging each other and like excited together and like the whole thing. Yeah, I think that was. Yeah, I very much wanted to be like, I wanted, like, obviously I say a lot like their family, their family, but I didn't want to just be like, 
the reader learns their families because like reiterate it. I want to kind of show like interactions with people caring, but also having like banter and whatnot. Like each, it's like you guys said, each character in my mind had like a set personality. Vince was kind of like a cooler, like gentle giant where like Jan's kind of like a little scrappier and a little like more, you know, like he swears the most easily of everyone in the group and one eyes a little bit more like brash where like gent was like very like almost kind of like soft-spoken but he's like missy's like you know uh, caretaker while she's like doing all this like the stressful stuff so i wanted to like at least in some regards for like certain characters give them a little bit of personality so when our protagonist eventually just abandons them all and like leaves them like in the dust you're like ah man you, you know he seemed cool you're just gonna like let them down like that you know so I thought it was sad that he did that. Like, I mean, I felt that. And I, I guess, like, this is one question. I think I answered it as you, like, further read the story. Because there was a few things I, like, wrote down questions about, like, plot that yeah then fed into. Like, one of my questions was, like, I wrote down, if he didn't abandon the ship, would it have? Like, I didn't know that you were going to resolve uh, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, like, would it have made a difference? But the other part, and I think this might have just been kind of a misunderstanding, having just listened to it for the first time. But when he runs into Jan, does Jan undisputably know that he is going to flee the ship? Yeah, like Jan understands you. Like that's why he says, "Like good, good luck out there, brother." You know, right? Okay, yeah, that's that's fucking that's real sad. And he just laughed. He's like, "Yeah, yeah. I hope I have good luck too." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't say anything because he's convinced. Like he's like, he's like it's odd because like I'm imagining like Jan's like trying to like lug something. And he just he's like uh willow just turn the corner and it's got like almost like a deer caught in the head like kind of look you know like oh i can explain kind of thing you know so yeah i like that you like had a specific thing for why he changed his mind like you showed him like facing death and being like actually this is not what i want it's, yeah you know, i think you did a good job of like conveying his thoughts and like why he was doing what he was doing as opposed to him just like changing his mind and then it would be like come on now you're yeah, a jerk yeah, you know, exactly. reasoning so i think mm-hmm. that's helpful to the story to like make you kind of not really hate him like you said you were disappointed kid and i was disappointed too but like i kind of understand like the yeah. reason I'm literally mm-hmm. like oh that is my death right there <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly <laughs> like in my mind like him and everyone else is they've been through like the shit like these past like few years like they're constantly fighting against like corporations and stuff like that and so like it's not like they've never like been in danger but like it was more of like the there's no reason in his mind why the bubble would form like one million times out of a million and one it would just detonate you know whatever munition had hit them so like it was as if the universe was like here's death and so he's like i am dead but i'm still alive for some reason and it's like that like like the almost certainty of the fact that he was supposed to die right there was like too much for him to kind of handle so he was like okay then you know it was like that was it huh i'm done with this yeah <laughs> he's not the uh he's not the hero of the story he's not at all centerpiece mm-hmm. of it but it's kind of funny because he also he doesn't really talk too much in the whole yeah exactly he mm-hmm. only has a few lines compared to the other characters i was afraid that like the fact that he doesn't talk as much as the characters that he's abandoning would make it so it seem as if his relationship to the crew wasn't as strong and I didn't want that to kind of be like the. I don't think so. Like I, okay. I think it worked because because he's narrating, right? So you're seeing yeah. a lot. Of, mm-hmm. He's describing it, so you kind of you can tell that he has that relationship with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like maybe his like not talking and everything like that is a little. Maybe that's his personality. So yeah. we can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna peace. 
Yeah. 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 There you go. It kind of made it seem like he was maybe like younger than the other people. Like maybe he was kind of just like going along with it. Yeah. I don't know if I had like an age in mind for him. Mm -hmm. Like I'd imagine he's like around the same age as Yon. They'd be like very brotherly, you know? So. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's like a younger brother, older brother situation. But like, no, like Willow's like very much like dedicated to the cause. He's not like. Okay. going with the flow like if you're ending up in like this situations because you're like you're like in the shit basically you know so. yeah that's fair i think maybe the saddest part for me in the story is not actually him like seeing yan and then yan basically like wishing him farewell but it's like thinking about vince and vince is over here like i'm i don't really know exactly what's <laughs> going on but i'm picturing like thor holding together the forge oh i see yelling to get like <laughs> or some shit like that, mm, and then he just yeah. come back. <laughs> yeah, he's just waiting. Like, yeah. where did he go? <laughs> I needed that. Yeah, or Vince, man, that guy was like, "This is he's what trying. I need now," and he's like, "I'm gonna do that for you." <laughs> yeah. like, like I'm right on it. Don't count on me, 100. <laughs> <laughs> percent like, I don't know. Like, just Jan show up and be like, "Oh, he's fucking. He he left." Yeah, I don't know exactly. I imagine like everyone on the ship knows at some point. Like maybe like. Zarya like sees the pod escaping as like you know just a heads up for everyone you know so no one if anyone was expecting this like Jan successfully made it off of the ship or whatever so everyone be in my mind everyone was like hey good luck out there you know you know like, good looks kind of thing yeah they love them so like the fact that he lives they're like hey you know yeah I think it's nice that you put that like detail in there that like they're not mad at him because I feel mm. like it's kind of like the survivor's guilt thing so yeah. you can understand why he's like oh they hate me but I think mm. it's it's nice that you mentioned like multiple times people being like yeah like you're good. Like they yeah. wanted you to in live. My actually. Mind, everyone else who would be aware of it would hate him. They wouldn't be like, oh, you know, you like. They would be like, you should have stuck, you know, because it's like they right. sacrificed himself and like it was in vain because you abandoned. Like even if you don't know that's the case, if you knew that like that happened, you'd be like, you know, why didn't you give it your all? Kind of you, you're you come up your big talk, but not really like dedicated to like what you're saying. But yeah. like those. 12 like, well the 11 other people specifically it's more than just like yeah it's the act of like trying to like get like some freedom on mars but it's also like we have a family here that's dedicated to this thing and so like yeah like it's a tough situation so won't fault you for like this moment of weakness you know thanks for being like a brother another thing that i thought was kind of funny listening to this story is i think two days ago i just watched the original matrix <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Pretty similar vibes. <laughs> yeah, so like, like legitimately, like this story, like when I say compared to like the Sunken Planet, I feel like the Sunken Planet is like a pretty original piece. This one is not, I don't think, that original. I think like there are some aspects that are like kind of like unique, but for the most part, it's very much like an homage, like a lot of like the stuff that I like. I, like it's like in my mind, there's like aspects of like Cowboy Bebop is thrown in on this. There's like a lot sure. of like, like, uh, like a uh, red mars like you know like but yeah also like stuff like matrix where it's like you know like a crew living on like this like derelict ship or whatever yeah it's very much like i i, I very much see that yeah mm-hmm. that's how i was kind of picturing like missy when she was kind of like plugged in yeah in my mind yeah exactly like but the shots are like like, little, like ender's game kind of thing with like controlling the ships Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was just trying to kind of picture exactly. Yeah, that. exactly. If you're like this one is very much like just imagine a lot of tropes from sci-fi and like that'll do the case. <laughs> like Missy's like a blend between like someone from the Matrix mixed with like Radical Edward from Cowboy Bebop, for example. You know. Oh, I liked how you did like so the way that you did the the past and present 
like where the, you know, you're going back and forth. I feel like that was. I really love it. Huh? Thank I was saying that. <laughs> I liked how that was. Yeah, uh, I like the that. same story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it kind of like, um, like parallels what Cade was doing in the intro with the, you know, future mm-hmm. self and all that kind of stuff. But it was like a little bit different. So I feel like you kind of, I guess, expanded upon the same concept kind of thing. But yeah, I like that you did that. I did. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about that because you guys, it's funny, like what part of like the intro people kind of preserved. I very much was like, I did not catch on at all, like the lack of dialogue that was happening. In my mind, I'm just like reading the story. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And so you guys were both like, oh, I love the choice of like having like very little dialogue. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I did not catch up on that. So like the very first time, the guy's like, huh, how about that? Discarding that, you know? <laughs> so, but like the parts that I like, I basically I was like, what are the things that were alluded to that I should call back to? So, one thing Kate had written in the intro was, you may ask, like, why I didn't leave. And, like, I'm telling you, like, I was very calm there. So I wanted to call back to, like, things happen. And so these would be moments where you'd be like, why didn't you leave there? And he's like, I'm, I thought I was going a little crazy because it seemed like a nice place. I was pretty calm coming in. I don't know. I, I was, like, assuming I was being paranoid. So I had those moments kind of, like, mixed into it. Um, there's another thing I wanted like, that was mentioned in the intro that I tried to call back to. I don't remember. But that was, like, the big thing. Like some things I noticed too um, was like, I mean, obviously the knot. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, of course. And mm-hmm. I feel like the candle you did include in kind of like, yeah. mm-hmm. like a, a subtle and fun way, which I mean, the the overall kind of title for this piece was Candlelit Nights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love how, you know, now that we've read the three, each of our kind of iterations of this, I think we all immediately took a hard pivot to our genres oh yeah no immediately yeah, yeah sure. immediately <laughs> i was like it's very funny if i'm like yeah kate helped me write like a like an anti-capitalist uh you know like sci-fi <laughs> short story that would be like perfect you know what was your favorite part steve favorite part that's actually a very good question favorite part to write favorite part to reveal whatever you want to take it there's a few parts i for, quick question for you guys though like do you kind of get do you know when he says at the very end, like, take a look at my back next time they take off the bandages, do you know, like, what is on there? Absolutely not. The ship or Mars, right? No, yeah. so in my mind, what it is, like, she burnt, like, his back was, like, as it was burning, started to peel and curl. So it looks like a charred, like, rose made of, like, skin. Just like a burnt oh, rose burnt in rose. his bag, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, all right. Exactly. I thought it was like a, <laughs> some intricate like yeah. diagram of the burnt rose ship. No, no, yeah. that would be a bit too fine detail for like blistering for skin. Blistering <laughs> skin <yeah. laughs> nice artwork, Mars. Like, wow, it's the Mona Lisa. <laughs> Favorite parts. I like the scene where like Zarya is like talking to the crew and everything like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like a like could be maybe done a little bit better, but I think it does a good sense of like saying like everyone was like dedicated like at that moment it's like yeah we know like what this means but we're going down with the ship kind of I like that the part where like the lady reveals herself to be Mars itself like a personification whether or not that's actually true or she's like a crazy person that someone knows about it I I you know me I love like my monologues just like the big reveals like I am Mars here to deliver judgment so I like that part a lot I don't I like the story a lot like I, I'm mm-hmm. like I've said before 
not the most original piece. It's just like a hodgepodge of things that I like, but it came to me really quickly. I've always wanted to write a story that was like Mars, that as it's coming into its own and like what life would be like on that. And so this is, I could see this being a slice of life that takes place in that, you know, so. I think uh, for me, my, my favorite part was, um, it, it was a single line of dialogue and it's when the masseuse says, do you ever look up at it? And I feel oh, like yeah. he didn't know what he was talking about yet, but I mm-hmm. was like, I can tell this is where the story starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> like, that is, right? like that's kind of the tension. It's like from there you realize there's Yes, yeah, it's, it's not just a dude getting like comfortable during a massage. It's like yeah. she knows something's up, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kinda, you know, in the intro alludes to something sinister happening and like that's that moment where you're like something sinister is about to Yeah, happen. exactly, exactly. So it does have some like horror elements tied into it, you know. So oh, yeah. when she oh, said yeah. you'll need more oil, I was yeah. like it's like boiling the oil i'm like boiling isn't it going on his skin oh my god boiling like she said i need to boil more oil well she says it needs to it needs to be hotter like she needs some more oil but it's gonna be way hotter than this no at one point you say it's boiling oh yeah and maybe like when like he wakes up for the third time and is like what does that smell and it's like the pot of boiling liquid which right. he assumed is the oil yeah it was like boiling, boiling. Yeah. oh no <laughs> yeah he, he says uh to finish we'll need more oil what i have here is it nearly hot enough for what's next mm-hmm. right like, oh god and i'm like and i love that like <laughs> the massage like you describe it as like comforting until you actually describe it yeah <laughs> yeah the most excruciating pain i've ever been yeah, that was good. Yeah, you guys both took like a very dark turn in your stories, and it was very the the not happy endings. I I think there's some kind of fun parallels to to my my story and your story, Steve. Yeah, where in my story, my guy is the only one who dies, and in your story, oh, he's the only one who lives. Oh, I like it. And in Julie's story, he's the arbiter between life and death. That's so true. Ooh, yeah. I feel like, uh, <laughs> this whole little exercise is a little Twilight Zone vibe. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Yeah, very like episodic. Like, what? Imagine if you will. You know, <laughs> you do like a uh, an epilogue from the point of view of the masseuse. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> the masseuse is Mars, a monster, <laughs> and <laughs> like, well, yeah. maybe they're just three different clients, and the oil changes the experience. Uh, the oil changes oh. the masseuse. Just changes the experience that they had. It's all. They're all hallucinations. <laughs> It's done in like the style of like Rod Sterling from like the Twilight Zone himself. It was like, how can all these scenarios happen in one little massage parlor? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Perfect. Um, oh my gosh. Let's see. You know what I think would have been cool if you had Missy die. Like I feel like if she, oh, while she's in there, she, yeah, like if she's like refuses to give up or whatever, and then like ends up dying. And then everybody's sad about it. And then it makes like him leaving even more like upsetting because now like they've already sacrificed one of their own yeah. and now he's abandoning it. So I thought that would be kind of cool if she had like died. That's true. I'd have to find a way to work that in that would make sense with the way the story flows. But it would be that would give it more punch because she does die eventually. They all die. Well, so. yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, like before, like everybody like sees her die. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. It would really just be like, I mean, you'd change a huge scene, I guess, but that that would be a pretty, feel like a pretty good punch to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like in terms of 
I think it's really just kind of awesome to like you wrote this so fast, right? Yeah, it's funny. I've been like uh I remember like I've told you guys like how I have a plan to like write at least like three short stories this year. I'm counting this one for that quota. Kate suggested I do that. And I'm like, you know, it works for me. You know, yeah. it's not the most original story, but I wrote it. Um, but like, yeah, it was like, I've been working on one story since like January. And it's like one of the first short stories I've been working on for like years. I come back to it every once in a while. That one's, uh, I think I mentioned it before, The Trial of Grey Collapsal. I can't yeah, wait. Every, every, every time. We talk about The Trial yes. of Grey Collapsal. And well, like, I'm still like, I, I haven't made wait. that much. Pro- I, let me see how many pages in I am on that. That's going to be like, story. I don't know about that. I think The Sunken Planet will come out as like a better story because that one's just way more focused. And Steve, you're like, this story is not original and everything, but it's it really is a great piece. Like I I don't think originality is like very important, but it's not like the end all be all. You can do like a common story, but like tell it well, you know what I mean? I feel, yeah, and I feel like there's so much like out there in terms of literature that I'm sure everything has been done by somebody. Yeah. Somebody, you know what I mean? Like, is anything really original anymore? So I've have of the uh, Trial of Great Collapsal, on my current draft, I have six pages of that wrote since like January. Nice. So this one is like, including Kate's part is 10 pages long. And I wrote that in like a, like a couple of days. Yeah, it's just funny how once you get an idea, some things just really start to flow. Plus this one, like, the perspective is easier. It's like a dude who abandons his friends and is, like, being punished for it. Whereas, like, the other one is, like, an alien trying to explain to other different types of aliens in a representative government why this new type of alien, which is, like, a hive mind, is dangerous for normal aliens. Which is, like, how do you keep that (laughs) interesting and, like, make it make sense, you know? Art. A little challenging. Yeah, I feel like that'd be hard as a short story too, because there's probably so much. Yeah, it's like explain, right? Yeah, it was a this was a fun exercise, guys. Any thoughts on the exercise in general? Like, what do you feel about this? How soon do you want to do another one? <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're the right around. We'd be justified to do just right arounds over and over again. <laughs> uh, that that is true. I mean, I think this is. I really enjoyed it. Like, I think, yeah. I, I think I would probably like to, um, you know, maybe go off of one of your intros next time. Julia, It'd be cool. Mm-hmm. And one day we should definitely do the one story type. Yeah. Where it's like one does intro, one does middle, one does end. I think that'll be cool. Yeah. That's for the future, dear listeners. Yeah. yeah. Who would you like to hear right the ending, listeners? Yeah. Oh, there you go. We have no way of, for you to contact us, but go on our Instagram a, page. Yeah, we should Instagram. plug that. Plug it, Julie. Go ahead. I don't even know what it is. Hold oh, on. Oh, no. <laughs> right around pod. Yeah, is it just right around pod or is podcast? Yeah, maybe maybe there's a cast. That's what I'm saying. But, I don't know uh, what it is. Not, oh, not three bad on Instagram. Not three bad. No, it's, it's the right around pod. Steve, what are we talking about next week? Next week is very exciting. We're going back to our standard style of analyzing a certain aspect of Shori's telling. This one is going to be focusing on pacing. How do you keep a story engaging without bombarding the reader with too much information all at once? It's all about pacing. We'll discuss that and more next episode. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a good day. Bye. Bye.